This morning we're continuing and nearing the end of our study of the kingdom of God. This morning we're going to talk also about uh, anxiety and stress and worry. Uh, but I want to review first some of the things that we've talked about in case you haven't been with us or review and uh, catch up uh, for the rest of us. Things that we've learned and said from the scriptures about the kingdom of God. First, I want to say that, that the kingdom of God, that term, and the kingdom of heaven are exactly the same thing. Uh, in the scriptures, they mean exactly the same thing. In Matthew's gospel, we see the phrase kingdom of heaven on Jesus' lips because Matthew is reluctant as a good Jew to write too often the word God, and so he substitutes the word heaven on Jesus' lips. So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, the same thing. The second thing we've talked about and that we need to remember because I think it's deeply ingrained in our minds and we forget even though we remember is that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not the same thing as heaven. What we think about when we think of heaven uh, in the future or reality with God after we die, after we're done with these bodies in the resurrection, that heaven, streets of gold, uh, angels, lovely music, things like that, uh, Jesus is not talking about that when he says kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in the Gospels. He is talking about a present reality that is available to us today, right now, among us, in us, around us, and through us. And Jesus comes and says that this reality, which he calls the kingdom of God, is available and accessible immediately. Along the way, we've noted several things about the kingdom of God, and first of all, what the kingdom of God is not. The kingdom of God is not, as some people have thought or taught, Israel or the United States, the great promised land, or the church, or a physical or geographic region. The kingdom of God is not up there, and the kingdom of God is not strictly a future reality, but rather is a present reality as much or more than it is a future reality. And then there are some things that we have said and agreed upon from the Scriptures that the kingdom of God also is. The kingdom of God is the authority of God to reign. It is the rule of God in people's lives. It's the reality in which what God wills is done. The people over whom God rules or is ruling. The kingdom of God is also dynamic in the sense that it is changing, it is moving, it's in motion. It is happening, it is active, it is advancing. And then finally, the kingdom of God is all about the king who is at the center. Uh, someone asked uh, me last week, week before, uh, to uh, describe for them because their child asked, what is heaven like? And I'll say, this is true about heaven, but also about the kingdom of God, that there's one piece of furniture in heaven, and that one piece of furniture, according to the scriptures, is a throne. And on the throne is God, the king, and everything revolves around him. And so the kingdom is about the king. We care about this issue because Jesus cared about it, because Jesus talked more about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God than he did any other issue by far. Now think about this. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven than he did about worship, about singing, about prayer, about Bible study or knowing the scriptures, about evangelism, about faith, or even about loving one's neighbors as oneself. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God than all of those things, and even money. 
And so we can say that Jesus was consumed with the kingdom of God. He was obsessed with the kingdom of God. He wanted people to understand. And so his life and his ministry are about describing and demonstrating the kingdom of God in people's midst. So uh, because of that, we would do well to continue to seek to understand and to enter into this reality Jesus calls the kingdom. And we're going to do that again. First, I want to talk for a few moments about our sort of topic with that today of stress, anxiety, and worry. Now, how many of us experience stress, anxiety, or worry on a regular basis? You can raise your hand. How many of us experience stress, anxiety, or worry on a weekly basis, would you say? So a lot of us. How many on a daily basis? A good number of us, yeah. How many of us are feeling like, oh, I don't know where this is going, and I want out of here, I'm really stressful? <laughs> Despite remarkable advances in technology and medicine and brain science and products and devices, Designed to make our lives easier, more comfortable, more enjoyable, stress seems to be still ubiquitous. We still worry. We live in a high speed, high expectations, high performance, highly competitive, high traffic, and consequently high stress culture and part of the world. What are some things, as examples, you tell me, us, what are some things that cause stress in your lives, my life, in the lives of people like us? Family, work, finances, kids, health, smog check. You got to stop driving that 40-year-old car, Don. What else? Other things. Can't remember losing one's memory? Sure. Traffic. Say it again. Expectations. Expectations. Absolutely. Those are all a bunch of things. So a survey a while back by USA Today cited the following as the biggest worries in people's lives. 36% of respondents said that work, their work, their jobs, their vocations, their employment was the biggest source of worry in their lives. 22% said money. 7% said their health. 10% said children, 5% said parents, 5% said their marriage. I, the American Psychological Association every year does a stress test on America, a survey about stress in America, and these are the results that just came out a couple of months ago. 71% of Americans, a disproportionately large number of African American and Latino people, worry most about mass shootings or being shot or gun violence. 69% of Americans worry about health care, and more specifically, the cost of health care. 56% of Americans experience stress around and related to the presidential election. 56% of Americans also experience stress and worry regularly about climate change, global warming. In the passage of Scripture from Matthew's Gospel that we're going to read in a few minutes, Jesus mentions several things about which people worry, and he mentions the very basics. What am I going to eat? What do I have to wear? Where I get my food from, how I appear to others, the health of our bodies, maybe the appearance of our bodies, and the lengths of our lives. These are all examples of things about which they and we and people like us worry and worry 
and worry, consciously and unconsciously, and usually unaware of the impact that all of this worry has on us as persons. Consider, consider the following facts and data, figures and information. According to webmd.com, I don't know, yeah, let's take it as a reliable source. According to webmd.com, 75 to 90% of all doctor visits are for stress-related ailments or complaints. 75 to 90%. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic once wrote, there is a growing mountain of evidence that worry is the chief contributor to, contributor to depression, nervous breakdowns, high blood pressure, heart attacks, and early death. Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I've never known a person to die from hard work, but I have known a lot of people who have died from worry. Worry can be the cause of or can exacerbate ulcers, migraines, thyroid problems, lung ailments, cirrhosis of the liver, and even cancer. There's proof that worrying causes or increases our predilection to cavities in our teeth. A study of, from Northwestern University and my own dentist affirmed this. Worrying lowers job performance. Approximately a million people are, are absent from work on any given workday because of stress-related complaints. Worrying accelerates the process of hair loss for men. Worrying prompts many people to eat more than their bodies need and is therefore one reason people gain excess weight. People who are worried are more likely to be involved in accidents and to commit suicide. And all of that with 30 million Americans taking prescription medication every year for anxiety, for worry. Worry produces everything from obesity to obscenity, from constipation to diarrhea, and from impatience to impotence. It gives us knotted stomachs, sleepless nights, high blood pressure, high blood pressure and low morale. It makes our temper short and our days long. It causes indigestion, irritation, chest pain, and muscle strain. I've been working on that myself the last couple of weeks. But now there's a simple test available that can determine the level of anxiety and worry in a person's life. In just a moment, we're going to put a picture up on the screen, an image of two dolphins leaping out of the water. If you see anything but two dolphins leaping out of the water, the stress level in your life is through the roof, according to this study. So here it goes. You ready? One, two, three. <laughs> now, if you see anything but two dolphins leaping out of the water, the stress level, the anxiety level, the worry in your life is through the roof, and you need to seek all kinds of help immediately. Okay? You with me? Now, seriously, worry really does lower the length and the quality of people's lives, our lives. There's nothing good about worry. God gives life. Worry destroys life. Worry kills life. And therefore, it's one of the favorite games or schemes or plots of the enemy. And so we should not be surprised that Jesus spoke the following words recorded in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. Let me pray first. God, help us to be attentive to your word. Help us to be attentive to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Jesus speaking, Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, 
accumulate a lot of things, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life or a single cubit to your height? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? What do we look like? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in this passage, as I just sort of sat on it and soaked in it and sort of went round and round with it this week, I decided for me that Jesus here describes two ways of living and two remarkably distinct ways of living or being. And Jesus seems to set these two ways against each other. And the first involves worry, the second involves the kingdom, but first about worry. I have come to understand myself, albeit slowly and remedially, that not all worry is involuntary. It may seem that worry just happens to us, that we just find ourselves worrying, that we don't choose worry, but Jesus seems to say otherwise. Jesus seems to say that we have a choice in the matter. That at some point we choose to worry about all of the things we've talked about thus far this morning. I went through this kind of uh, strange season, oh, I don't know, a number of years ago, where I got really nervous and worried anytime I was going to fly, before I flew, as I flew, on the plane. Uh, when, it was, when it was free to choose which seat you wanted, I always uh, chose ahead of time the seat near the window and looked out. I wanted to see what was going on. I wanted to see the weather. I wanted to be in control. I thought if I could see what was going on, then maybe I could not worry as much. That uh, somehow being there, that I could influence the weather or the plane or the dynamics or the design of the plane or the pilot's decisions. If I could hold on tight enough to the the seat rests, that I could change something and I wouldn't have to worry. What a ridiculous deal. You get on a plane and you can't do anything about it. Why worry? My dad, toward the end of his life, was uh, interesting. Uh, Then when he would ride in the car that I was riding with, he would, uh, when when I was driving, he would sometimes do this (laughs) as the passenger, as the passenger, thinking he's nervous, he's worried, he's going to put on the brake. You're the passenger dad. Has anyone ever done that? Ever had your spouse do that while you're driving? Have you ever done that while your spouse is driving? Have you ever ended up in the back seat? (laughs) There are lots of things we can worry about, in addition to airplanes crashing and terrible auto accidents. I have worried that I might come down with some terrible disease for no good reason at all. I've worried about failure. I've worried that one of my kids might one day might end up cheering for the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> I've worried that the only style of music in heaven when I get there one day will be rap music or hip-hop. Worrying doesn't change any of these things, though, Jesus says. Not the past, the present, or the future. 
I read something recently that said 40% of the things we worry about never actually happen to us. 30% of the things we worry about can't be changed. 12% of the things we worry about are criticisms from other people, most of which aren't true. 10% of the things we worry about are health-related and only get worse with stress and worry, ironically. And 8% of the things we worry about are real problems we eventually must actually face. Only 8%. So generally speaking, worrying accomplishes either very little or nothing. There's either something that you can do about a situation or there's not. And if there's nothing you can do about it, don't worry. If there's something you can do about it, do it. But if there's nothing that you can do about it, stop worrying because you're only hurting yourself, Jesus says. And so Jesus offers, in reflecting on all of this worry, two sort of solutions or paths, two ways forward for his disciples, two suggestions, recommendations. And the first kind of functions as an antidote or a cure, I would call it, and the second as an alternative. Seek first the kingdom of God, which Jesus has already announced a couple of chapters earlier and brought near, and which he will spend the next three years of his life describing and demonstrating. Seek first the kingdom of God. And remember that the kingdom of God is not a political entity. It may overlap with the church. We hope it does, but it doesn't always. The kingdom of God is not a religion. The kingdom of God is not head knowledge about the Bible. The kingdom of God is not up there or out there or somewhere else. It's in here. The kingdom of God is the authority to rule and the reign of God in people's lives, it's the realm in which what God, the good and loving God, wants and wills is done, where people obey, where people take seriously what God says. And it is the people, the community, and the individuals who are submitted to God's rule. It's dynamic, it's available, and it's about the king. All of those things we have to remember when we hear Jesus say, do not worry Seek first the kingdom, because first it is an, an antidote. As we learned about over these past six weeks in the kingdom, those who are at the bottom and in the edges and the fringes, and the periphery and in the shadows, and the people who lack privileges and rights and esteem and resources, in the kingdom, these people will be lifted up. The first will be last and the last will be first, Jesus says over and over. The poor in spirit, those who have been broken down, oppressed, ignored, those who lack spiritual standing in the world and in their own eyes, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And therefore they, who it would seem in our world, have the most to worry about Jesus announces and declares, do not need to worry because yours is the kingdom of God. We know that the kingdom of God belongs to children and those who are like children, to the lowly and the humble, to the teachable, and those who know that they don't know it all. So that a person doesn't need to worry either about knowing it all or not knowing enough. A person doesn't need to worry in the kingdom about upward mobility or downward mobility because God has us all. 
We don't need to worry about whether or not we have piles and piles of money because as Jesus said, that sort of abundance only makes more complicated or even more difficult life in the kingdom. That is really life. The more we have, sometimes the more we worry about it, Jesus teaches. And we don't need to worry about our past or our secrets or about our present or our future or if we'll be found out or if we'll be good enough or if our bad will be seen and judged because the kingdom of God is like a merciful king who forgives even the biggest debts. We don't need to worry. And we don't need to worry about whether or not we've worked harder than someone else or whether or not we've worked hard enough or whether or not we're getting all that we've earned and deserved because we know that the kingdom of God is like a landowner who gives to everyone far more than they deserve and that the kingdom of God is about grace and freedom and being gifted things of which we're not worthy and so we don't need to worry about those things. The one, in other words, the king, who has authority to reign, has all good things in his hand, and he is good. He has each of us in his hands, and so because of that, we don't need to worry about what we'll drink, what we'll have to eat, where we'll get to eat, what our bodies are like, what we get to wear, what we have to wear, how we look. And in this way, Jesus calls his disciples to seek first his kingdom as an antidote and a cure for worry. Of course, Jesus telling his disciples not to worry didn't mean that they weren't or that they were released from being responsible, that a person shouldn't be concerned about their child's safety or the blue smoke coming out of the back of their car. No, worry doesn't, worrying doesn't mean ignoring problems or red flags or living with a cavalier attitude. Jesus wasn't suggesting that people don't need to work or put forth an effort in life. Jesus uses the illustration of God providing for the birds of the air and how God provides for them, and God does. But we don't have to really watch the birds for too long before we see that the birds don't just sit in the trees, but that the birds are at work as well, doing what God has allowed them and gifted to do, building nests, going after food, looking for what God has provided for them. And when Jesus said, do not worry, he wasn't prohibiting a person from having health insurance or a retirement fund. Jesus was not issuing a license for irresponsible living when he said, do not worry. He was not saying, do not plan ahead. Those are two very different things. And yet, seeking first God's kingdom is in so many ways an antidote to worry. And as an alternative, it's a wholly better way of living. When a person turns his or, attention, his or her attention to the king and the king's rules and the king's way, trusting his power, his goodness, and provision, so many things change in a person's life. And there's the dynamic thing. Once future becomes secure, mercy permeates one's life, one's heart one's disposition toward other people. Mercy becomes a prevailing attitude and resource in a person's life. And we learn the way of grace. A person begins to see the world completely differently through the lenses of a loving God who gives and blesses not just the worthy or the supposedly worthy, but the unworthy as well. 
we begin to think less of our own kingdoms and more of the one kingdom. Money is no longer an idol that has the ability to rot our hearts and our souls. In the kingdom of God, a person is freed from such idolatry and worry. And the hungry are simultaneously fed. And the poor are cared for and the invisible are seen and loved. And so many of one's worries along that way and along that path just disappear into vapor. Hudson Taylor, the great pioneer missionary to China, wrote this. He wrote, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our, our all, and give it up right into God's hands. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. And there's some truth to that. When we let go, when we trust God, when we decidedly stop worrying, and more than that, the kingdom of heaven, which we speak of with hope, when we seek it, as we seek it, it will come. It will arrive. It will be manifest in our midst, outwardly, visibly, but also in our hearts. In our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in the public square, Jesus' promise is that it will. Back when some of us were small, young, there were about five praise songs, five praise and worship songs in this new genre that was emerging. And one of them was this song called Seek Ye First. Anyone remember that? Anyone old enough to remember that song? Anyone remember? Okay, so remember when there were about five worship songs to sing? That was it, the whole choice to choose from. And we sang Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Some of us haven't sang that in decades, but we remember it. We remember the words to the lyrics, but have we remembered not just to sing it, but to seek it, to actively, proactively, every day of our lives, seek first. When you wake up, when you leave your home, when you make decisions, when you are writing checks, when you're interacting with your neighbors, when you're interacting with your strangers, when you're participating in the political sphere, do we more than sing, but also seek actively? To this, Jesus calls us. These words were not meant only to be sung, but to pursue God's kingdom, to pour ourselves into God's kingdom, to invest in God's kingdom, to get our whole selves to God's kingdom. Seek first his reign and his rule and the reality of where his will is done. His righteousness, his justice, his rightness, his goodness. Jesus says to make this pursuit the focal point of every facet of your life, every faculty that you have, every day of your life, every hour and every minute. A few verses earlier in, this, than in chapter 6 of Matthew's gospel, just a few verses later, 
Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And you know he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek first. May it be this focal point, not just of your songs, but of your prayers every day. God, bring about your kingdom. Make me available to participate in the coming of your kingdom. Bring your kingdom here. Reveal your kingdom. May it be so. May our prayers, may our pursuits, may our seeking primarily and first be this kingdom that is the antidote to worry that kills and is an alternative that brings life. Let's pray. God, may Jesus' words not just be words to us, but may they be life. They are truth. May they be the words that guide, that shape, that mold, that give structure to and direction to not just our outward lives, but our hearts, our relationships, our marriages, our parenting, our being children of our parents, our workplace relationships, the people with whom we interact. May your kingdom come and help us to seek such. When we are worried, when we're not worried, when we're tied in knots, when we don't know the answer, when we don't know which way to go, when we're worried about health care and not enough money and relationships and politics, may we be not so much devoted to our own kingdom and our own way, but to your reign and to your rule, to your kingdom. May these things be so. In Jesus' name.